Greetings and welcome to Converging Streams, Interfaith Fellowship in our modern world. Our program is a production of the Muncie Interfaith Fellowship and the Unitarian Universalist Church of Muncie. This week's program is entitled, Finding the Sacred in the Natural World. Please welcome Reverend George Wolfe. Hello and welcome to Converging Streams. Since the dawn of civilization, humans have had a need for sacred gathering places, places designated for worshiping the omnipotent force or forces in creation, to which we all inevitably succumb. Originally, such gathering places were unconfined, open, and integrated into the natural world, often set in relation to the movement of the sun, the moon, and the stars. They were left subject to the elements with which the devotee was to seek harmony. Two noted examples of open sacred spaces, two famous examples, are Stonehenge in England and the configuration of mounds built by Native Americans near Anderson, Indiana. Both designs are said to be aligned with the movement of the sun to mark the changing seasons, a feature important to agrarian and hunter-gatherer tribes. Another example is the well-known Serpent Mound in Ohio. I don't know how many of you have heard of or visited Serpent Mound, but it's a very impressive earthwork. That and the Great Circle Mound at Mound State Park near Anderson are two of the great earthworks in the Midwest. The Serpent Mound is an interesting one because it is a meandering mound at the end of which is what people assume to be the mouth of the serpent, and the serpent appears to be devouring an egg. And one interpretation of what the mound is supposed to represent is the regenerative force in creation, regenerative as the serpent has been a symbol of that which regenerates and also which is cyclical. You've probably seen images of the serpent biting its own tail representative of the cyclical structure of creation, the cycle of the seasons, the cycle of day and night, and the life cycles within which all life, all living things, thrive. In addition, the sacrificial altars mentioned in the oldest scriptures, the Rig Veda from the Hindu tradition, the Epic of Gilgamesh, and the five books of Moses, those altars described in those texts are generally thought to be open-air altars. As time went on and cultures developed masonry skills, sacred spaces were enclosed and became increasingly more ornate. While this may be seen as an outgrowth of sophistication in architecture, it also reflects the belief that humans became separated from God through either ignorance, that is, a lack of awareness of the divine presence around us, or the transgression of divine law as depicted in the book of Genesis. It therefore became necessary to prepare appropriate, holy, and protected places for people to again draw near to the divine. From this experience was born what you might call the duality of the sacred and the secular. That is to say, sacred places, sacred spaces, became confined and separated from the natural world spaces where one must go to and return in order to be in the presence of the divine and be restored. 
whereas the outer world, away from the temple, became seen as secular, where people were preoccupied with worldly and more mundane aspects of life. Another problem inherent to the development of sacred buildings and their ornaments is that they run the risk of becoming distractions along a person's spiritual path. This occurs if, in the eyes of the devotee, the shrine and its religious artifacts become more valued than the spiritual essence they represent. Revivals in spirituality, particularly when they are grounded in the experience of spiritual enlightenment, include views that run counter to the notion of sacred ornaments and confined sacred spaces. Buddha's enlightenment, for example, took place under a bow tree, not in a sacred temple filled with decorative icons. The Christian book of Acts asserts, quote, The God who made the world and everything in it does not live in shrines made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. That's in the book of Acts, verse 24 and 25. In the Hindu faith, there's a series of texts known as the Upanishads, which were written in an effort to shift attention away from physical representations of the sacred and return the emphasis to inner experience. The realization that the divine is omnipresent and beyond limits, dwelling everywhere, including within us. Thus, from the perspective of the mystical experience, the contemplative experience, that is, the temple that is closest to us is our own body, in which the Spirit of God, the spark or light of divinity, dwells. Or, as the Christian Apostle Paul writes, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Now, every temple has within it a sacred space, a space which is called the sanctuary, where the prayers and the services are offered. Likewise, the temple of the body, we could say, has an inner sanctuary. And the inner sanctuary is that part of us which provides us a refuge from the world. It provides us a means of entering that presence where we're receptive to the divine. And we prepare ourselves to enter that through a spiritual practice of some sort. Often it's a form of meditation. The mind is led and onto more silent levels within it. When the silence can come to the foreground of our experience, mental activity recede into the background and can even subside altogether. It is an experience of wakeful settling of the mind being accompanied by a profound and enjoyable state of peace and relaxation. Once we discover this temple of the body and that inner sanctuary, we realize that this duality of the sacred and the secular no longer has to be in our awareness. That wherever we go, we can be in the presence of the divine. It isn't that we have to go to a temple and remove ourselves from the world. In fact, the sacred can potentially be found everywhere. Now, of course, on the path to that experience and to that knowledge, of the resolution of this duality between the sacred and the secular, we find that there are certain places that we can visit which are more conducive to allowing us to experience the sacred. I'm sure many of you have been sitting beside the ocean, looking out over the vast expanse of the ocean, 
Perhaps the sun is setting and you're moved by the experience of this vastness and the power of the waves rushing in onto the shore. I remember when I was growing up, there was a place in Pennsylvania that my family used to visit called Cook's Forest State Park. And there was a trail called Longfellow Trail. And it used to be my favorite trail because as you would start walking on the trail, after you would go uphill about perhaps 100, 200 yards, you would enter a space which was a virgin pine hemlock forest. Very old trees, very large, very tall. And it was a very silent and beautiful place because all the pine needles had prepared the path on which we walked. And you could look up and you could see the sun filtering through the branches, nudging aside the leaves and the needles. And I recall it giving to me a powerful experience of the presence of sacredness in nature. And I had a similar experience later on in life when I lived in California. And in Northern California, I'd go into the redwood forests, which were so beautiful and majestic, these huge trees creating a cathedral in nature. This particular experience has been captured in in music. And there is a piece by Claude Debussy in which he attempts to capture this majestic, sacred nature of an old-growth virgin forest. And this particular piece is called The Green Cathedral, and it's a piano composition. And I'd like us to listen to that right now. And if you sit back and close your eyes and just try to tune in to what he's trying to capture in this music, the sacred presence in the natural world, not in a built cathedral, not in a shrine that is insulated from nature, but one which is totally a part of the natural setting. You've been listening to a composition by Claude Debussy depicting a beautiful forest cathedral whereby one 
draws near to the presence of the divine by virtue of the majestic nature and presence therein. I hope this program inspires you to seek the sacred presence, not just within a confined, built sacred space or temple, but in the natural world. Reconnect yourself to the natural world as you discover that the temple closest to you is the temple of the body, wherein the Spirit of God dwells. Allow me to close now with an interfaith psalm which draws upon these images of nature. Listen to my symphony of solitude. Sing the aria of autumn as leaves shatter in the wake of your stride. Their rhythm is in step with the hills. They tangle with twilight, courting the shadows creeping across the fields. Let thoughts flee their shoreline and gliss across the pond as the wind chimes its way through the forest. Hum with the fireflies while darkness presses inward, surrendering its presence to the moon. Make a fallen oak your altar. Lay upon it the sacrifice of speech, of breath, of time, and of thought. Speak without sound, reach without moving, feel without touching. And remember by forgetting yourself in a radiance that flows like the mercy of muted strings. This is George Wolfe for Converging Streams. Thank you for listening to Converging Streams, Interfaith Fellowship in Our Modern World. Our program is a production of the Muncie Interfaith Fellowship with content and financial support from the Unitarian Universalist Church of Muncie and technical support from radio stations WCRD and Work FM. Most importantly, we thank you, our listeners and followers, for your support. To connect with Converging Streams, including listening to our entire catalog of past programs, getting our latest new content, and making your own contribution to this program, visit our website, convergingstreams.org. Converging Streams is produced by Tony Piazza, George Wolfe, and Thomas Perchlick. Thank you for listening, and have a pleasant week.